0: And I want you to circle what doesn't belong. 1 Chronicles 20, 27. I'm going to read you a list. These are people who are in David's court, I guess. And I want you to circle what doesn't belong. And we're just going to fumble through the names. Asmavet, Asmazeth was, the, was in charge of the royal storehouses. Jonathan was in charge of the storehouses in the outlying districts, in the towns, the villages, and the watchtowers. Ezri was in charge of the field workers who farmed the land. Shimi was in charge of the vineyards. Zabdi was in charge of the produce of the vineyards for the wine vats. Baal Hanan was in charge of the olive and sycamore fig trees in the western foothills. Joas was in charge of the supplies of olive oil. Shitre was in charge of the herds grazing in Sharon. Shaphat was in charge of the herds in the valleys. Obiel was in charge of the camels. Jediah was in charge of the donkeys. Jaziz was in charge of the flocks. All these were the officials in charge of King David's property. Jonathan, David's uncle, was a counselor a man of insight and a scribe. Jehiel, son of Hakmane, was uh, took care of the king's sons. Ahithophel was a king's counselor. Hushai the archite was the king's friend. Ahithophel was succeeded by these other two guys, and Joab was the commander of the royal army. So what doesn't belong? King's friend doesn't fit. You've got this whole list of people with official jobs, of official capacities, official roles, and then stuck in the middle of it, shy the Archite, a friend of the king, or the king's friend. We're going to come back to that. Uh, today is our uh, small group sign-up day. My hope for you, in a, in a few minutes, I think we have about 15 small groups, and the small group leaders are going to stand up, and they're going to give you their 30-second pitch. You'll have a chance after that to come forward and to talk to them, to get to, know, uh, get to know them a little bit, find out a little bit more about their group, and then ultimately, hopefully, to sign up. That's the goal is uh, for y'all to sign up for a small group, and you might say, well, why do I need to do that? I want to share a little bit with you today about why it's important for you to do that. And I'll say right off the bat, small groups are the means to an end. It's not being in a small group for the sake of being in a small group. The goal, life-giving relationships. That's shorthand for us. Life-giving relationships is kind of a shorthand way of saying regular and intentional relationships with people who love God and love you. You have to have them. Regular, that means you need to be in frequent contact with these people. Maybe you can do it over the phone. I, I think it's difficult to do these things long distance, phone, email, whatever. Um, you, there's too much life that passes in between phone calls or it's too easy to hide behind email or Facebook statuses or whatever. This is, to me, it's, it's got to be person to person. You, you Maybe not, but I think so. Frequent contact. These are folks who you're living life with. Intentional. Not just spending a lot of time with. You can spend a ton of time with somebody and the relationship still not really rise to the level of being life-giving. Just hanging out with somebody, even for massive amounts of time, it doesn't work. Some of you who are married have found this out. Just being with somebody for eight or nine hours, waking hours a day, that doesn't produce intimacy. That produces familiarity, which is not the same thing. There's an intentional component, taking a step, we've talked about this before, being transparent, letting people see into you, being vulnerable, letting them speak into you, that's, that's what moves the relationship deeper, that, what, that's what moves it from knowing about me to knowing me, it's when I let you in, so that, that, I'll say straight up, that's never easy and it's never natural, it's always a conscious decision to do that to make a choice with somebody else to say, all right, I'm going to let you in. I'm going to let you see what's going on with me. And not just that, I trust you enough to let you help form and shape my response to whatever it is that's going on. I'm going to open myself up and allow you to speak into my heart. So your relationships need to be, these life-giving relationships are regular, intentional with people who love God. You can have excellent friendships with people who aren't Christians. Encourage it. That's great. Do it. But at some point, you've got to have some friends who love God, who have the same compass as you have ultimately for something to be life giving you have to be connected to the source of life and if someone is not connected to the source of life then the best they can do for you is their best and there will be times in your life where someone's best is not enough you need Jesus and if you don't have friends in your life who are connected to God then you've cut yourself off from those divine resources and that's a bad place to be you 've got to have friends who love God and friends who love you, people who are co- to, to love someone is to be committed to their best regardless of the personal consequences you 've got to have that, not just people who'll pat you on the back, but people who'll get in your face who will challenge you who'll encourage you to to push on to to press on we've said before everybody has lettuce in their teeth at some point, and you need people who love you enough to tell you and not let you go through your whole day looking silly so Life-giving relationships, regular, intentional relationships with people who love God and love you. Small groups, to me, are, they're the means to that end. Small groups, again, are not the end. They're just the way of getting there. It's a great way of creating, um, of creating a context or a culture and an atmosphere where these types of relationships can form. You were made for life-giving relationships. Genesis 1 and 2. God makes the sun, and it's good, and the moon is good, and the stars are good, and the earth is good, and the land is good, and the sea is good, and the atmosphere is good, and the trees are good, and the animals are good, and the bugs are good, and the fish are good, and everything is good. And then God said it's all very good. He makes Adam. It's good. It's all very good. Genesis 2.18. But it's not good for Adam to be alone. So the Lord will make a suitable helper for him. Adam lived in perfection, an ideal setting. Everything around him was good, so much so that God says it's all the sum total of it is all very good, but it 's not good for him to be alone you don't live in paradise; your setting is far from ideal and if it wasn't good for him to be alone it there's no way it's good for you to be alone i'm not talking about having friends i 'm talking about these life giving relationships this isn't how many people follow you on Twitter or how many Facebook friends you have or whether you can fill up a restaurant for your birthday party. This is, are you in regular and intentional relationships with people who love God and love you? If not, then you are alone. And don't give me, well, me and Jesus are fine. Because you're not. Adam, your relationship with God is not better than Adam's was. This is pre-sin. The picture in the Bible is God walking with Adam in the cool of the day. You don't do that. You don't. And God says he needs something else. I don't think about that. God, who is walking with Adam, this unmediated relationship with Adam. No sin, no frustration, no confusion, none of the stuff that we wrestle with. And he says it's not good for him to be alone. So how it's you and Jesus, that's not enough. You need people. Because God says you need people. You were created, I was created for life-giving relationships. You also need them because isolation is an invitation to the enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be aware, be alert, be self-controlled because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Y'all have seen the nature shows. Who do the lions go after? Stragglers. <laughs> if that's you, You've got a target on your back. You've got to be in relationship, these life-giving relationships with other people to protect you from temptation. Darkness, the enemy lives in darkness and isolation is a means of darkness, a type of darkness. Those of you who are Christians, I want you to think, since you become a Christian, think about the sinful behaviors that you have wrestled with. And I would, I would bet you lunch that every one of those started in darkness you were there was a part of your life that you kept isolated from other people and in that dark place sinful practices began to take root and grow and that's why you wrestled because there was no light coming in you pulled this part of your life away from other folks you didn't allow people to see it and that's where these sinful behaviors took root i'm in a group on friday mornings with two other guys we meet together every Friday for an hour. We, we commit to reading the Bibles. like this week we're reading the book of Romans and we'll talk about it and say, you know, this is, did, did you read it, yes or no? But then we ask accountability questions and they're rote. We talk about how we spend our money and we talk about what we do with our free time and we talk about how we treated our wives and kids and we talk about whether we're angry with folks and frustrated or unforgiving and all of that stuff. Every week, I know these guys, there's light coming into my heart. So sin has a week with me. It's got from Friday to Friday to take root in my heart before somebody is going to see it, before I have the opportunity to expose it to someone. And these guys know me well. They know when I'm lying and they know when I'm dodging. And they can call me on it. You need that. All of us. We need protection from the enemy. If we isolate ourselves, that's choosing to live in darkness. And that's his playground. And in those dark areas, sinful practices will take root. I guarantee it. That's where the enemy lives. That's not where God lives. He lives in the light. He wants to bring you into the light. One of the ways he does, does that, excuse me, is through other people. Relationships are a channel of God's grace. This is 2 Samuel 15. You can flip back over there. We've talked a couple of times. So David's the king, and then his third son Absalom launches this coup. And according from what da, the news David is hearing is that every the country is with Absalom. One of his top advisors, this guy, Hithophel, who, according to Second Samuel 17, everybody said it, this guy, he it, he's not wrong. Listening to him is like listening to a guy who inquires of the Lord. He's always on. He has aligned himself with Absalom. There's some of the Psalms you can read where David talks about being stabbed in the back. This is most likely what he's talking about, where this guy, one of his most uh, trusted advisors, has aligned himself with Absalom. So it looks, like, it looks like David's done, and so he takes his guys and says, Thrones, God, I'm walking out the door. I'm not going to fight for this. If God wants me on the throne, he'll keep me on the throne. And this is what happens. This is Second Samuel 15, starting in verse 32. When David arrived at the summit where people used to worship God, Hushai, the archite, there's our guy, was there to meet him, his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, If you go with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king. I was your father's servant in the past, but now I'll be your servant. And then you can help me by frustrating Ahithophel's advice. Won't the priests, Zadok and Abiathar, be there with you? Tell them everything you hear in the king's palace. Their two sons are there with them. Send them to me with anything you hear. So David's friend, Hushai, arrived at Jerusalem as Absalom was entering the city. So Absalom comes in with his personal army he has. He's got Ahithophel with him. First thing he does is he goes to Ahithophel and says, What should I do? And he gives him some instructions. This is what you need to do. You need to take 12,000 men. You need to pursue David right now. You need to cut, you need to let everybody loose who's on his side. Just don't hold this against them. You go after David, capture him, kill him. You're the king. Everybody will rally to you. That's this advice from this guy who's never wrong. It's actually really good advice. And then. Hushai comes up. Absalom says, all right, let me hear from David's friend. And Hushai says, you know, Ahithophel is normally right, but this time he's off. He's off a little bit. This is what you need to do. You know, David, he's fierce. And the guys who are with him, they fight like lions. You need to take a breath. You need to gather as many troops as you can. And then you need to descend on them. The Bible says, like, do on the ground. Wipe them all out. They hide in the city. You level the city. Full force. Shock and awe. Whole thing. And it says, the Bible says this in Second uh, Samuel seventeen fourteen. Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The advice of Hushai the Archite is better than that of Ahithophel. For the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. What I want you to hear is not just David's personal destiny, but the destiny of Israel pivoted on the work of a friend. Hushai the friend changed the course of a nation. His advice was awful, and he knew it was awful. And he gave awful advice out of loyalty to his friend. And Absalom listened because he knew this was David's friend. Go back and read in chapter 16, when Ahithophel sees Hushai with Absalom, he says to him, Three times in one verse he says the word friend. Is this the, way you, is this the way the king's friend should treat him? Is this how you treat your friend? He's saying this to Hushai. Why are you here and not with your friend? David. Everything pivots on this relationship. It's not a priest. It's not a scribe. It's not a counselor. It's not a commander of the army. It's a friend. Someone with no official position changes the destiny of a nation. If Absalom had followed Ahithophel's advice, it was good advice. You read that. God, it's good advice. Go after him. just get David, get him now while they're running away. I don't know what would have happened. Absalom would have won. I don't know how God would have fixed that. But because of Hushai's relationship with David that Absalom knew about, he knew this is his friend. He's not going to betray him. He knew that. And everything pivots. And so what I want to say to you is, you've got to have these life-giving relationships because it's a means of God's grace to you. What Hushai did further David's personal destiny. It also greatly affected everyone in the nation of Israel. You need that. If you don't have those relationships, you've cut yourself off from one of the the most uh, powerful ways God will work in your life. He will speak to you through the Bible, absolutely. He will speak to you through His Spirit, absolutely. He often speaks to you through other people. And not just speaks to you for encouragement, but helps form and shape where you're going through other people. If you don't have these regular, intentional relationships with people who love you and love God, you're sunk. You were made for them. Those relationships will help protect you from the enemy. But even more than that, they are one of the primary ways God will work in your life. You can see it throughout Scripture. This, I think this story shows it as clearly as anything. A whole list of official guys. And you get Hushai, the, friend, the king's friend. Why is he in there? Because he made as significant a contribution as anybody. You can make an argument the most significant contribution of anybody was made by a guy who was just someone else's friend. No official role other than a buddy. This is a picture. you show that picture, Greg? To me, this is not theoretical. This is actual. Misty and I moved back to Marietta in May of 2000, and this picture was taken in either June or, or July of 2000. We all look a little better in that picture. At least I do. A little thinner, a little more hair. So, one of the first things we did when we moved back was we found a small group. And out of this group of people... I, we Misty and I get together with four of these couples every month for dinner. They're they're the people that we live life with every month. There's ten of us that get together for dinner. We got kids running nuts, but we've made a point to say this is what we're going to do. People are busy and all of those things. Life has gotten more complex, but we said we're going to do this. I meant my, the group I was telling you about on Friday. One of the guys is in this picture. And my hope for y'all is in ten years you've got a picture and you can say. These are the people, like, they're the ones that have walked me through the last ten years. They've been, they're the people that we've gone on vacation with, and they're the people that I've eaten out with on Friday nights, and they were there when things were great, and they were there when things were terrible, and I was there for them when things were great, and I was there for them when things were terrible. You need this. At one point when we were having our little dinner thing, there were five couples from four different churches. It didn't have anything to do with who goes to church where. It was, we've decided... These are our folks. And you've got to have that. You have to. You are made for it, yes. It will protect you from temptation, yes. And to me, even more than that, you need God's grace. And He will send His grace to you through people like that. If you don't have a picture, if you, you've got to get one. And the good news is you can. You can uh, take that down. The, some of the reasons... While we don't develop these relationships, we don't have time. It's a pain. You've got to put in a lot of time into being friends with folks on this level. And relationships are the easiest thing to cut when you get busy. We just don't have time. I would say make time. You've got 168 hours in a week. You can find a few. Some of us, it's, we're in these kind of relational ruts. They're people who we've been friends with for a long time, and we've kind of created the expectations for what we're going to talk about. These are my Georgia football friends, and these are my fantasy football friends, and these are my, you know, talk about the politics friends. And you kind of have those little slots with people. And it's hard to break out of those relational ruts. Again, it's never easy. It always requires intentionality. And sometimes we've been going with folks in the same direction for so long, it's really hard to think about moving in a different direction. But again, you've got to. Just spending a lot of time with people, it's, it's not enough. There has to be this sense of opening your heart up to them. And kind of, I would say, tied into that is kind of the familiarity. It's kind of a curse sometimes. You can know everything that's happening in someone's life. You know what's going on with their family and with their job, and you know some of the things they're thinking about. And because you know a lot about them, you can think that you know them, but we know that's not true. Just knowing my calendar is not the same as knowing me. And we've got to be willing to make that shift with people. Another thing, this may be especially for folks who are maybe under 30, single or married, but maybe if you're under 30, I think one of the, it's kind of a college hangover. It, in college, it's very easy to develop these kind of friends. A lot of times you're living with them, and in college, you think you're busy, but you're not. You're in class 10 or 15 hours a day or a week, and then you've got all this time on your hands. Everybody's 18 to 22. Everybody's new in town, so everybody's looking for friends. It's really, it's pretty easy to develop these type of friends in college. Some of you live with the same people for two or three years, and, and now you've left, and you wonder, well, is that it? Is that as good as it's ever going to get? And you've tried to recreate that here, and it hasn't worked. And I'll just, it's, it's harder. It's harder once you leave because people move in different directions. Your life gets more complex, and the more complex your life gets, the harder you have to work at relationships. If you've gotten if you're if you're married, most likely your spouse doesn't want you to have roommates. They might. You, you're not going to get that. Many of you hopefully have jobs now and you, you don't have the time. You're getting older, you can't stay up till four in the morning. Those things happen. It's more work to develop the relationships. But you can't think that you peaked at twenty-one. Like, that's not as good as it gets. God is not a good God if the best days we're from 18 to 22 relationally. That's not true. You can, re- you can develop those friendships. It's just going to be harder. I'm saying straight up, it's going to be harder. But you can. It takes time that you might not have that you've got to create. And it's going to take effort that you used to not have to make that you're going to have to make now. But it's worth it because you're made for it. Will, those relationships will protect you from the enemy. And they'll be a channel of God's grace to you. Apart from them, you're... You're done. You're done. The small group leaders are going to come up here now. You guys, if you're helping with the small group, y'all come on up. If you're sitting in a chair, you should have one of these things with one of these things in it.